Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Spartan Forge. On today's episode, I'm joined once again by legendary Western mountain buck hunter, Troy Pottinger. So this is an extension to the previous podcast episode where we broke down Troy's 2021 season, including hunting elk in September, missing his target buck at 16 yards, being efficient with your time, having your finances in order, and much more as it relates to deer hunting mountain bucks. 100% born in the Appalachian Mountains and made in the USA, Timber Ninja Outdoors provides a range of mobile hunting options to accommodate diverse hunting preferences. Whether you prioritize comfort, lightweight design, or versatility, their two-panel and single-panel saddles collection has something for everyone. The Black Belt Nano is the lightest single-panel saddle available on the market, weighing in under a pound. The saddle is designed with the minimalist hunter in mind, focusing on lightweight functionality and breathability. One notable feature is the patent-pending magnetic stick clip system on the side, which allows for convenient transportation of sticks up the tree, as well as a built-in platform holder. The Nano Saddle can be folded up to the size of a Nalgene bottle, enabling easy portability. With a four-way stretch material on the back for a comfortable fit, as well as strategically placed padding for hip pinch relief, you can use code EASTMEETSWEST to get free shipping on any Timber Ninja order. If you try it out and don't like it, send it back within 30 days for a full refund. Learn more at TimberNinjaOutdoors.com and sign up for their email newsletter for exclusive discounts and product drops. When it comes to optics, I get the same question over and over again. What are the best all-around binoculars? Well, it's tough to find something that works in every condition great, but after using a pair of Maven B1.2 10x42s, I think I found them. They feature an 8x or a 10x option, superior low light performance, tack sharp edge to edge clarity, a generous depth of field, and a silky focus mechanism. All of Maven Optics have a lifetime no fault warranty and hail from the great state of Wyoming. I've been using Maven Optics since I bought my first pair in 2017, and I think you should test them out for yourself. Head over to mavenbuilt.com and use the code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT for a free gift with any full price optics order. For all of those that want a truck bed cover for work or play, Diamondback makes the top of the line heavy duty covers that help you do more with your truck. They're perfect for the truck owning, avid sportsmen, outdoor enthusiasts, and weekend project warriors. I'm currently using the HD cover that can is capable of holding up to 1,600 pounds on the top. And then I have the Yakima overhaul HD bars on top so I can put my rooftop tent on it. When I'm not using my rooftop tent and able to use the trifold design of the Diamondback, I have the Crossbin 8 in there to organize all of my stuff in the back of my truck bed. Diamondback is made right here in Phillipsburg, Pennsylvania. If you want to check them out, head over to diamondbackcovers.com. If you've wanted that hunting camp tradition that we talk about, that experience, but you don't have a hunting camp of your own, you're welcome to come stay at my hunting camp up here in the Pennsylvania wilds called the Elk Crossing Getaway in the PA wilds. So if you go over to Airbnb, you can check out 
our three bedroom, one and a half bath house that's right in the heart of Pennsylvania elk country. It's only minutes away from a bunch of public land to be able to hunt, hiking trails, outdoor recreation, fishing, all of those things there. The house is completely fully stocked with everything that you need to be able to, to spend a week hunting deer, taking your family up to see the elk, anything like that. So if you head over to Airbnb and search Elk Crossing Getaway in the PA Wilds, you'll find my listing there and you can rent out my house to send us a message, an inquiry that you're interested in it and mention that you heard it on the podcast here, then we'll get you 10% off of your first day. So the only news I have to share this week is has to do with got a new YouTube video out. So Johnny Stewart uh, and I, or me and Johnny Stewart went out scouting over the 4th of July weekend. And we spent two days out in the woods, one scouting an area that I've been wanting to check out and get some cameras in. And then the next day we went into his area where he's trying to locate a specific deer. And that's been kind of just sporadic on his cameras over the last few years. So we went into a new spot within the bigger area to be able to try to locate that deer. So basically just did a vlog style. It's nothing fancy. The edit's pretty, pretty standard. Just, you know, me carrying a camera around as we went through showing you what we found, found some really good sign that could potentially be an early season hot spot where a, a buck is definitely bedding and some other things. So I hope that, uh, I hope that yeah, you like that video. If you like some more of that, you know, less edited, just kind of put together vlog style stuff. Let me know uh, in the comments on the video there. Uh, have some more. I would love to do some more of that kind of stuff. Uh, if if that's something that's a, of interest to you, so definitely check that out and let me know. Uh, in other news, the Sika Jetstream jacket and vest, the the new one for the the men and women's line, just launched this week. Um, so over on Sika Gear, I have. Um, I'll have an affiliate link here in the show notes of the podcast. If you use that, uh, I get a little bit of a kickback. If you decide to buy anything from sick of gear, I, I really appreciate that if, if you do, but just, uh, to give you a little information on that jet stream, they, I've got some questions on Instagram about it because they released it in elevated two, which is their whitetail pattern. In the past, the Jetstream has been around for like 12 years, and it's been a mountain hunting jacket and vest for the most part. So, you know, why would they release it in EV2, and how does that compare to the Stratus jacket? So the Stratus jacket is more fully featured. It's got the grunt tube pocket in the shoulder. It has the harness port on the back for anyone that's using a, a tree stand harness. If you're hunting off a tree stand, has a removable hood, a quieter fleece outer on it and just a little bit thicker. So my thought is that the Stratus jacket is still kind of my go-to for bow hunting whitetails at close distances, rubbing up against trees. It's going to be quieter. Um, but the jet stream is a little bit lighter. It's still quiet. It's a lot quieter, quieter than the older jet stream jacket. Um, so it, it can be really good for those of you that are looking for kind of that, that middle of the road, one that you could use out West that's packable. And then also one for whitetail hunting, just sacrificing a little bit on the noise uh, perspective for bow hunting. But for me personally, it'll be more of like a rifle hunting jacket because it's got pit zips so I can hike in it and dump heat 
And then also, um, yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a really cool jacket, nice staple to it. I love the vest. I use the vest a lot. I'll be using it in, uh, elk hunting this year. I have a, a video that'll be coming out here in the next few weeks, kind of breaking down my, my sick of gears system that I used in my bear hunt in the spring, which will be very similar to what I'm using for elk hunting this year. So if you want to check out the new Jetstream and some of the other stuff Sika has coming out, then uh, definitely check out the, the link that I have in the show notes to, to be able to look at that. But with that being said, let's, uh, let's jump into this episode here again with Mr. Troy Pottinger out of the mountains of Idaho. Uh, so so kind of like, I'd, I'd like to break down, maybe even going through like your last year, like how did you get ready, you know, for the opener? Like what were, what was your plans? Were you hunting a specific buck? How, how did that look last year when you were going through it? Well, last year was my brand new schedule with Tyson's college football season. So for the listeners, I at least want to explain how it laid out. Ty was a red shirt, but he did so well in fall ball before the season started they moved him up to number two, free safety, as a redshirt, 18-year-old. So what that means, Bo, to your listeners, is if you're a redshirt, you can play in four games. And if you end up being the number two guy on the depth chart, you can only play in four games, but they might need to use you. So what we ended up dealing with was Tyson got to play in two games, and then they had to save him for two games the whole season. Then we went on the playoff run. We went to the national championship. North Dakota State beat us. Uh, I will say we did lose our starting quarterback the first series, or we would have given him a hell of a game. Anyway, all that to say, Bo, Tyson's schedule moving up, he was always at the potential, his coach even said it, one play away from playing his four games and hopefully not burning his red shirt. But if they'd have had to use him, they would have. So – I didn't want to miss a game yeah. because, and I didn't want Jeffrey, the starter to go down by any means, but if he did, Ty's got to play. He's got to be the man as an 18 year old kid, you know? And he was, I got to talk to his D coordinator and his D coordinator told me flat out to my face. He goes, he's ready. You know, 18 years old, he's ready. So he did a really good job this year. He'll, he's got a, he's got the guy ahead of him again this year. That's a senior last year. The guy was a junior, all that to say, Bo, that made a huge impact on my schedule for hunting because mm-hmm. I wasn't going to miss a game if my son had to go in and play. So um, I scouted. I, I actually worked a ton last summer. I mean, everybody's moving to Northern Idaho. So I was on my bulldozer like you wouldn't believe 70, 80 hour weeks, but I still got out and did my chunks of scouting. Um, I ended up, coming across two of the best bulls I've had on public land in a long time. So I'm just going to tell you right up front, guess what I hunted in September? Elk. I yeah. Elk. And you, and you killed a giant bull too. Killed a beautiful bull, beautiful bull opening day, got him killed. And then I was like, you know what? With Tyson's schedule, I don't come across the opportunity to kill two amazing bulls on public land. Hardly ever. Yeah. So I went and hunted, I killed my Idaho bull, jumped into Washington and strictly just tried to kill that other big bull. Never did kill him. I heard that he might've got poached, uh, but I'm not sure. And I heard that just because I 
a buddy of mine's a sheriff's deputy and told me about some bulls that got poached really close to me. Anyway, all that to say, hunted that bull pretty much all I could in September. I didn't even hunt a whitetail in September last year. And then we dove into Tyson's football season and it just escalated and it was a blast. And the boys were, I think they were nine and two regular season. They made that big playoff run. So we were going to all the games, including the away games, except for like two that were long flights on those weekends. I jumped in and got into my whitetails. And in October, I started trying to find the buck I wanted to kill. I started hunting whitetails late October, early November, had two big target bucks that I wanted to kill. Um, due to time, ended up hunting the one more than the other. And three sits in on the buck I wanted to kill on one of those icy days, iced up, raining, turning to ice on me, terrible days, he comes in. And I have this guy, I've had this guy now three years on a, on a big scrape that I built. He just, he always moves into it during November and December and, and checks it and checks the does. And it's on the top of a mountain. It's literally on top. And the mountain's not super high. It's only about 4,500 feet. But he's on the top of a mountain in a crazy peculiar spot. But it's because the bedding is so good for him. He hides out up there later in the season to get away from all the other hunters. I'm ascending up 2,000 feet to get to him. 2,000 foot in the bottom, 4,500 So I'm going 2,500 feet of old skid roads that switch back and hiking way up in and, and then walking in on top and getting in my stand. Anyway, I, I decide I'm going to kill this deer. This is the deer I'm going to kill. I have a few days to take off and hunt him. So on the third sit, I got him. He rolls in, comes right up through, walks through the scrape. I go to draw on him, and the little tiny, little tiny felt or rubber tab on my cam stop, I had knocked it off in bow season or archery season elk and didn't know it. So I go to full draw on this buck, and I'm going to kill him, and that cam ticks, makes a little ticking noise. When, it, when I get to full draw, because the piece of rubber felt is gone. I think they put rubber on them in the factory. I have felt on it now. That little tick happens, and that buck just, mountain buck, hears it, turns turns his butt right to me, and walks away out of my life. So, because <laughs> this was third sit, and I had him dead. Third sit. And it, when I say third sit, uh, just after work, you know, screaming down to the stand and getting to hunt for two hours. Yeah. So I had about six, I had about six hours into this buck and got a shot at him. And, yeah, it, and climbing that high up and doing all that for a two hour set. Like, yeah, that's yeah. basically what I was doing. Bo was getting there for an hour and a half sit, to be honest, to catch him in the evening, coming through that scrape. And he'd come through that scrape in the daylight a lot in the evenings. He was coming out of his bed. He was coming out of a huge cyanosis patch of brush that he could feed in and bed in and then just come up onto this top and check this scrape in the timber. And then he goes down the mountain towards the does and the feed in this country is way down in the bottoms in the agriculture. So it's a mountain with ag in the bottom area. So I had him pinned pretty good on what he liked to do. So I refresh him the scrape. Um, I knew by his body language when I, when it made that noise and he walked away from me, he didn't jump and just run. 
he just turned and knew something wasn't right and walked away dead away from me. I could have shot him 50 times, you know, but I'm not shooting a buck in the back end. I mean, nobody does that. No. With a buck. So he walks away. I freshened that scrape when I left that night. I am not kidding. I just, and this was a spot I had a cell camera. I could keep track of him. He was back there the next day and I, I couldn't hunt because I didn't, hadn't taken the day off. He was back in that scrape the next morning at nine 20. So then I knew, I knew I didn't ruin it on him then. Then I knew I was still in the game. So I think I, I can't remember exactly, but I waited a couple days and he came back again in the daylight. So then I'm like, all right. And then I had the opportunity to hunt him. If I remember right, it was Tyson's playoff run and they had a buy or something. The date was around Ty's buy. So I got to hunt him for a weekend. So I go back in first set. Didn't see him. Saw some. So I had a couple bucks come through it. Some does walk up through it. Second sit. Second go around. Second sit. Here he comes. He's dead. I, I'm going to kill this deer. Drawing him really early because he came in based on the wind that day. The wind was cutting it close on me that day. He came in. The wind was coming across my face at a 45, and he came in just far enough beyond me that he didn't pick up my scent cone. So I knew he was dead. I just saw that great big frame and I, and I could see him down in the brush, just, just doing his thing, nibbling on some brush, working his way up to the scrape. I drew really early this time, even though I didn't want that bow to make a noise. And so I just drew early and I sat there and I just waited. He did his thing to a script. He, Worked his way up through the brush while I'm at full draw, walks to my scrape, puts his nose in it, hits the licking branch, rolls his antlers through it, walks right to me. There's a Christmas tree in front of me at 18 to 20 yards. I'm still at full draw, just waiting on him. Sitting there, I literally have the bow on my knee at full draw, and I'm just holding. This is probably a minute and a half, and it's freaking cold. So I'm at full draw. Everything's great. This deer is dead. Dead. I mean, I'm thinking dead deer. He comes by the Christmas tree and I couldn't believe it. He walks closer to me. So he has no clue. I lay the, I set the pin down to center punch him. I put it right dead center of his lungs. Trip the release right over the top of him. And I'm like, what the hell? He whirls and he's gone. Now, I didn't know I shot right over the top of him when I shot him. I thought maybe I thought it was so close and so quick and the wind was blowing. I thought I shot right through him at first. The reason I said right over the top of him is, yeah, I got down and I get down to go get my arrow. And it's like an extra foot further than I expected to be. And his trails right there in a foot of snow. I see his tracks, no blood. My arrows as clean as can be. I shoot right over the top of him. I just throw my hands in the air and go, what the hell is going on? So I think immediately you flat out must have knocked your side off and didn't shoot in between. You've done something, Troy, and, and your sights way off. That's what I'm thinking. I get my arrow, lick my wounds, and I think there's no way he's coming back, but I still refresh the scrape walk out of there 
shaking my head, text Ty, my boys, both of them, and Jess, I said, I just missed Romeo. I can't believe I missed him. I walked it off, Bo. I shot him for 20. When I walked it, it was 16. So I did shoot a, I did shoot a little high period because I thought he was 20. He was yeah. 16. Now, I've been holding that ball a long time. Okay? So then I'm thinking my season's over. I don't have any more days that I can take off. I have no more days left to take off, and he's not coming back. Well, believe it or not, after I freshened that scrape, three days later, he shows back up on my camera. So I talked my wife into covering my class at the end of the day because she has seventh period prep. My wife's a teacher. Sorry, I'm in the camera there too close. No, so I talked my, I, I talk my wife into covering my class, and I take one last hunt on him before the season closes, and I don't see him. Okay? In between that, oh, I forgot to tell you. In between that, before that last hunt, I come home and I obviously shoot my bow. I'm eight inches high. Holy. Yeah, yeah that, that makes sense. Because, like, it means so, 16 to 20 might be a little difference, but right. not shooting over his back. So my micro-adjust bow, those micro-adjusts, had wiggled loose and my pin had, felt, my pin had moved on me. <sighs> That's terrible. <laughs> yeah, those little micro adjusts can kill you if they're not tight. Yeah. And mine was loose enough, my pin had moved on me. Oh, that's a freaking heartbreaker. And and it's like that, that's <sighs> on me. You know, I sh- I should have been shooting before I went into the stand late season. You know, you know how it gets. You get you get grinding. Yep. You're not sleeping. You're hunting your ass off. Biggest biggest reminder for me this year was, man, you better be shooting that bow in between every hunt. I've got a target out in my yard. All I got to do is fling one arrow at it before I leave the day before I'm going to hunt, shoot an arrow or two. And I didn't. Yeah. I was way off. My bow was way, way off. Then I ended up taking my bow to my buddy. That's a hell of a bow Smith. And he goes, Troy, this, this is all effed up. He goes, this thing is, is messed up. And I go, I know I, I must have banged it or hit it on something in my hike in and out of there. And I didn't shoot my bow in between. And you've heard that. I mean, that's a rookie mistake. And I usually always take a shot or two, especially when I start getting late in the season, I'm tired and I'm wore out. I've been banging through the brush, getting to stands, hiking long distances, you know, you know how it is zombie mode at the end of a season. Yeah. And I just literally, my, my, my sight was off. I was eight inches high at 20 yards out here at my house. Well, and, and no, it's, it's, it's funny because I've, I, last year was the first year I really did this where, cause I would get in that same mode where I just wouldn't shoot during the majority of the season. Cause I'd get so in the mode, especially during the rut, like early season where I'm only getting to hunt a little bit, you know, I'd go out and practice after work or whatever and get a couple shots in. But once you get in that grind, you don't think of doing that. So now I have, I actually have a, a target in my basement. It's only 17 yards, but I can tell if something's major off, even if it come back and it's dark, I can shoot one arrow and, you know, have that confidence that things are, you know, should be on based off of that. And cause it, cause like, you know, when you are hunting, like during the rut and you're doing those dark to dark sits, there's no daylight to go shoot in the yard. And it's, it, right. it can, that can be right. difficult. And then- and then, then I'm driving, you know, we're, I'm driving an hour and a half each way, getting home late at night. Here's something I want to add in for the listeners. My bow smith, 
said, because of the way my bow is set up and the factory string is not the right length, he told me that my cams had worked their way out of some adjustment. Now, when I shot my bull this year, bow, it was at eight yards. You don't miss a bull at eight yards with a bow. They're so huge. I just didn't miss because I was so close. Yeah. And it was flat level ground. And I was shooting him level on the ground. But my bow smith, my buddy Jake that does fix my bow for me, he said, Troy, this bow's all screwed up. He goes, your timing is off. He said, your cams, your string is too short. Since then, since that miss, he ordered me, and this bow's only two years old. He ordered me all new harnesses, cables, string, everything went longer. And he explained to me, and I hope I'm explaining this right, what he explained to me is that my bow had got out of timing. And when he shot it before we, I think I'd messed with the sight a little bit to get the sight back to close. But before he shot or before he messed with the sight or anything, he said it was shooting high because of my bow being all out of whack. So between a pin, a sight that was screwed up, and my bow not being tuned right, he said I was shooting super high. Now, when I killed that bull at eight yards, bulls are big. They have a huge side to them. I probably shot high in that bull and didn't even realize it because I was so close. Yeah. But I was eight yards away, so it wasn't it wasn't drastic enough for me to pay attention. You know what I mean? I probably shot two to three, four inches high on that bull and didn't even realize it. Because it just happened so fast and it was so close to him. And shit, a bull's three times the or the length of a whitetail's chest. Yeah, and, and and that is that's that's true about coming out of tune. Like that can happen. That can happen on the first year you have a bow. You know, a string stretch or do anything like that. Like that's that's a that's a really good reminder for people of checking that. You know, every so often. Like I always like tune my bow at the beginning of the year, and then right before hunting season, like probably about a month out, I just check everything again, make sure it's in time. And I, I'm lucky I do have like a bow press and stuff here right. at my house. So I'm able to make some minor adjustments if I need to. Typically I can tell because my people start to turn. Um, and that's how I can know, like if it's stretching a little bit or something's happening, but that's man. And that, and that sucks so much because you put in all that time, all that stuff, and it comes down to a bow issue on why, why you didn't kill that deer. Yeah. And, and a me issue for not dialing that in, you know, I, all I would, I, I'm out at my buddies all the time. He's an incredible bow guy, bow smith. All I'd have had to do is take an, a half hour when I'm out visiting him, even during the work. I mean, we're hunting and talking to each other all the time. So all I would have had to do is say, Jake, look this bow over and shoot it. And he'd have told me, Troy, hey, wait a minute. We got to work on this. But I was just in that grind mode of trying to kill a big whitetail and going to get it done and had a, had a killable one. And running back and forth to Montana, watching my son play ball <laughs> in their playoff run. I don't think I was sleeping much more than four or five hours a night at all during yeah. the whole month of November, December. Yeah, I mean, and that, that wears on you, doesn't? You're not in the right mental state. You're like that's that's a that's that's grinding to uh, to its you know upper extent. I will say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there was a lot of there was a lot of nights where, like I said, drive. Drive over, go do ball, have a blast. Obviously, you're out having a blast with people, and then you're literally driving all night to get back to drive all morning to get to a hunting spot to hunt all day to get home and just pass out. 
Yeah. And then go to work then, the next and day. And then go to work. And then go to work. And then go try to hunt two hours after work. That's just it just is what it is. But no, I I chalk it up. I chalk it up this year for to me is you better get your shit wired tight, Troy, when it comes to late season gear. You know, it hasn't happened to me hardly ever. And it got it caught up with me this year for, for the first time in a long time. The last time I missed a buck was 06. So yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, and 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 I know, like, I know you from talking to you before and stuff that, like, you your setups, like, you're you're in on those whitetails, like, you're tight, you're ready to go, and uh, like, they're you're, you're shooting those scrapes, you know, under twenty five yards for the most part, aren't you? <laughs> have you ever wanted to have Levi Morgan, Andy May, Johnny Stewart, and others available at all times? Well, you can with CyberScout from Spartan Forge. CyberScout is like the chat GPT for outdoors men and women. You can ask it any questions related to bow building, scouting, hunting, survival, and a whole lot more. I think you'll be impressed with how it responds. CyberScout is currently out now for a select group of early beta testers and will be available to the rest of you really soon. The entire app is a complete tool for planning your hunt with incredible aerial imagery mapping, journaling, deer prediction, and some of the most accurate and detailed weather data. Use the code EASTMEETSWEST to save 20%, and if you're still on the fence, give the 14-day free trial a chance at SpartanForge.ai. CVA has been America's number one selling muzzleloader brand for over a decade. Hunting with a muzzleloader opens up a ton of hunting opportunities across the U.S., and I've been using the Acura series. But they don't only make badass muzzleloaders. Their line of centerfire rifles are great quality and not terrible on the wallet. The Cascade short barrel is ideal for tight quarters, deer drives, and quick shots in the big woods. You can check out their line of muzzleloaders, rifles, and accessories for every season and every range at bpioutdoors.com slash CVA. If you use the code EASTMEETSWEST10, you'll get 10% off of all CVA products, which includes rifles, muzzleloaders, and accessories. <laughs> I look at that. came yeah. to say hi. Yes, I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. yeah hey. I'm always, trying to, slam, I'm always trying, I'm trying to set up for slam dunk shots always just to make it. I want higher percentage shots, just like a basketball player. Yep. But yeah, I'm set up tight. So yeah, I missed it 16 yards, Bo. I mean, that just is what it is. It just, I just shook my head after that miss. I just, I was like, what in the hell is going on here? Hey, well, Troy, if I can make you feel any better, I I missed my buck last year, 14 yards and had zero bow problems. It was a, it was a bow problem, not the bow problem. So uh, (laughs) I, I, uh, I, I, again, I was just so confident. I was thinking he's already in my truck bed. Like this is a done deal and didn't do the stupid thing and not bending at the waist and just, just stupid like i was so mad at myself and then i ended up killing him at 52 it's like yeah. how because then i'm like all right i'm dialed at that point and I'm, I'm ready to go but i'm like how does that possibly happen but uh yeah those it's 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 the good thing is is like with what you did and with anybody else that has that is learn from it and make sure it doesn't happen again just like go through those right. those and figure out you know what to do there. Cause I think that's, that's important. And one thing I also took from that story outside of the bow thing is 
you didn't hunt very much, but your preparation and, you know, your scouting you did in the summer and the spring and all that stuff and figuring out this deer put you in high priority situations every time you were there. So like when you don't have a whole lot of time to hunt, even if you do like trying to set up that way is, I, I don't know. Like, I, I think that's just such a, a valuable lesson learned there. Like you don't, you don't need all that time. If, if you put in that time ahead of time and you put in that work and you're doing that scouting and it's, it's funny because like, I feel like, you know, if I, if I were to break up the amount of scouting versus time actually hunting, it's like 98% of the time I'm scouting and 2% actually hunting. Yeah. You know, I, I am going to make changes last year. Last year was a new scenario for me with that football schedule. So I have made some important, in my opinion, changes priority wise for time to hunt. And that's why I say I want to, I'm going to be in the velvet game, early season game much. I'm prioritizing that big time this year because I have way more daylight hours to hunt even after work. So I'm not shirking on that this year. I'm not going to give September just to elk. So going to try to kill a nice bull like I always do, try to kill one every year. But I'm prioritizing time to whitetails again in September. I'm not going to give up on it. And then, of course, pick my days again in December or late November. I really like late November out here, early December. And I'm going to Ohio late season this year after football season's over. So I got some cool stuff lined up. Um I've always wanted to have a January, February place to hunt because everything out here is dictated August 30th through December 25th. That's it. And then Mm -hmm. I'm done out here. So I'm getting to do that, but no, back to just what I learned from my son's football schedule. Trust me, I'm going to hunt even more after work days. I'm going to push it hard there just on those close to work hunts and scouting more closer to work to find a buck that's huntable that I can hunt after work every day. You know, that's something that going into last year, I didn't uh, give enough priority to. So it limited me on where I was trying to kill a deer. So just all those things I'm factoring in now. And of course, laying out a bunch of new country on purpose that's closer to work. That's what I'm doing today when I get off the podcast the country that I'm laying out, I can be in a tree stand in an hour and a half after work and early season for me, that's plenty of time to kill a deer in the afternoon because yeah. it, you know, it stays light out here till seven o'clock at night and I'm off work at two thirty. So there you go. Yeah. And, and you know that it's, it's funny, like, you know, when you shift those schedules and those priorities, it's like I was doing, I don't know, a couple of years ago, 2019, I was, I had a spot I was trying to hunt and I had it was like an hour and 15 minute drive to get to after work. And I was like, I was trying to do that and get there. And I was like, as the season was going on, it was just running lower. And I'm like, all right, the next year I was like, I am going to start focusing on areas that I can get closer to so that I don't have that long drive because I'm limiting my time to be able to get there. And I really wanted to hunt that area, but it kind of came down to a time thing and, and having to adjust for that, you know, and it, it is what it is. Sometimes you got to, it's you have certain cards that are dealt and you just got to figure out how to play them. Yep. And this year everybody has to, or most of us are going to have to set aside fuel money alone this year for me is going to be double triple. Yeah. So I'm working my butt off right now in the summer to make sure that 
that that stash is there for the because really for me out here, Bo, if I'm within an hour of my house, that's close. Mm-hmm. If yeah. I was just hunting deer, I'd go out in the backyard and kill one every year, but it's nothing of the caliber of white whitetail I want to hunt. Uh, and that's just because where I live, there's a lot of private land in small, small pieces to where the age structure gets demolished. Mm-hmm. So I rarely find the age that I'm looking for close to my house, if that makes sense. No, it definitely does. And, and yeah, that, that, that does make it difficult that, uh, you know, with that drive and adding that all into it. But it, at the same time, like I just keep going back to like you, you made whitetails a priority. It's not your number one priority. Your family is, but like you made that a priority and figured it out even with the fuel thing. Like you're like, all right, I'm going to work more hours so I can pay for the fuel. And that's like the people that get it done every year, they don't make excuses. They figure out a way to get it done. And that's where I like, you know, that's where I hear, like when I hear you do that and it helps me too, even like, because no matter how, how uh, we think we are, there's times when you start drifting and when you surround yourself or talk to people like yourself and others that are like that, it just kicks, kicks me right in the ass. And it's like, all right, work, work harder for it. (laughs) The best advice I can give all the younger guys, like you guys, all of you in life is pay everything off. Never be car or, or toy poor. If you want to be a great hunter, put your money into land investments, put your money into, you know, your kids. Those are the best investments of your life, but don't allow yourself to get caught up in stuff that takes away from your ability to afford to go do what you love when it comes to the hunting side of it. You know, I remember watching a piece you did where I think you sold your side by side or something. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Yeah. Yep. And you did it and you made a change so that you had more, uh, financial, whatever, going towards what you want to do. Yeah. And I've lived that way my whole life. I have no problem not owning for, for me personally, you know, I'll, I'll be land poor, but I'll never be vehicle poor, stuff like that. Just pay everything off so that when you go to put fuel in it, it doesn't hurt so bad, you know, things like that yeah. that are just simple, but they really do impact you on your endeavors when it comes to, especially if you're chasing these mountain bucks, like we are, you usually have to drive somewhere. Yo, you yeah. Put a lot of fuel in every year. Yeah. You know, my son, my son right now is doing this bass thing and he's going through a hundred dollars of fuel every day in this bass boat, you know, or, you know, whatever he's going through. If he runs it all day. You're looking at a hundred bucks a day just to scout bass before a tournament, you know, stuff like that. So I, I guess what I'm getting at is get those priorities straight try not to have many bills at all. And then it really frees you up to go do the stuff you love. Like for us chasing our son around the country, which that's not cheap. No. (laughs) And and then chasing whitetails, you know, all over the Northwest, which, you know, it's gratifying and totally worth it. Even if fuel prices are what they are, you know? Yeah. And I, I'm doubt I'm going electrical anytime soon in the mountains. Cause I want to, I like to some nights I have to have my truck running all night just to keep me warm. You know, yeah, when I'm sleeping in it. So. Wait, there's no charging stations at the trailheads? Yeah. What? <laughs> they're really, they're, you know, 25 five miles off the 
a remote highway. No, there's no charging stations in the mountains. No. Nope. Dang it. <laughs> uh, you know, and I, you know, so it's what you were talking about with the the thing with the side by side. Like that was like when I I got out of college, I was like all of a sudden I had money, I thought, which really wasn't that much, but I thought it was a lot. And I was like, oh, I'm going to buy everything. I had to finance it because I didn't save anything to be able to do it. I remember my dad telling me not, he was like, you know, you shouldn't do this. And he's talking to me about interest rates. He's going through, I'm like, oh, whatever. He's like, all right, you'll, you'll learn. So I did it and I learned. And uh, so I got rid of all that stuff. And it's funny right now I'm at this situation where my truck is really high mileage and I'm concerned, I'm getting concerned about it. And I started looking at other vehicles and the used truck market is ridiculous. I was like, I might as well buy a new one for the, how much the used yeah. ones cost. But then I, I'm looking at them and I'm like, this is like, I, I'm in this like mode where I was like, I, I don't know what to do and I'm struggling with it. I was like, no, I, I need to, I, I need to hold it at least another year. Maybe things will go down. I don't know. I'm just trying to, I, I literally just went through that this past week. I was like trying to figure out what I need to do um, to make sure that I have a capable truck to be able to drive out West. Cause that's important. And I do drive a lot. Yeah. Um, and you drive and, a boat. Yeah. Yeah. And tell, I was lo- looking at the Toyota. Tell me it's a Toyota. No, it's a Chevy. So I'm telling you, man, by, I, I tell people all the time by Toyota gassers and, and, if you want to, if you want a big, I have to have a big rig because I have construction business. Yeah. So I run Cummins diesel, but man, Toyotas will run a million miles, dude. I'm telling you. I know. And that's that, you know, and I've had so many people tell me that and both of my buddies have Toyotas and I was like, I'm like, man, it's freaking tundras. They hold their, they hold their value forever. And yeah. they, so it's, it's tough to buy one, but in reality, like, but I want one, I'm going to run till it's dead. Like I want one, I want to buy right. a truck that I want and I want it to last 250,000 miles, you yeah. know, and, and we, our hardest part in Pennsylvania is the salt on the roads. They rust out pretty, yeah. you know, quickly, but usually before the motor goes, but you know, as I'm getting up and I'm having, you know, every once in a while some issues with my truck and I get worried about it, but I'm like, at some point I'm going to have to, you know, bite the bullet and buy one, but I want to buy it. I want to buy it with cash and I don't want to finance it so that I'm not. There you go. There you go. Buy stuff with cash. Never be car poor. Never be toy poor. If you're going to spend money, spend it on land. I know we're kind of getting off task. No, I no. this is good stuff. You know, the, the three things, or my wife and I, the, the thing that we really have focused on in our life together is when we can afford it, we buy land. You know, we buy, we live on acreage, we have another acreage, and then we're working on another one. So we're not rich by any means, but we work hard, make a decent living. But when we have extra, instead of having huge car payments and brand new rigs all the time, we put it into property. And yep. something my dad taught me when I was young, he always told me, don't be car poor, be land poor if you're ever going to be poor. And because land always pays you back big time, mm-hmm. big time, pays you back huge. And as you know, Bo, we're not, they're not making any more of it. I know. Um, I keep looking. There's no new land market. You know, I, I can't. I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know what's going on where you're at, but out here, our property values, it's just so unbelievably skyrocketed that I can't even believe what my place is worth nowadays. It's insane. Like it blows my mind. I couldn't buy my own place now. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, but I'm glad I own it. And, and and getting back to that whole thing, I know that a lot of guys miss out on their goals and their efforts as hunters because they get pulled on by those other financial 
uh, I'll, I'll call it chains. You kind of chains hook to you, you know? Yeah. So yeah, if you want to, if you want to, yeah. And, and hunting's not cheap. <laughs> no, it's not. If you, you can get cheap, you can get meat way cheaper at a grocery store. I'll tell you that anytime, but like, so, and, and I, I've tried to do, you know, similar to what you said, my dad's taught me very similar things. Like my dad's never owned a new truck. He's never like, you know, he's bought land property, things like that. So like for me, like last year I bought a second house that I turned into an Airbnb in the area where, where the elk are at here. And I was like, okay, that's, that's a worthwhile investment to be able to do and spend money in that range. And two, it's like, like I, and, and there's even like going house broke, like, you know, like I don't live in anything special whatsoever. So like I got, and our, our land is not what you're dealing with. It's, it's going up, but I live in the middle of nowhere. No one really wants to move here yet. So, uh, um, which I guess that's the West is, uh, breaking that mold because everyone's moving there and it's in the middle of nowhere, but, uh, you know, so, but like, you know, so I got a good price on my regular house. I got a good price on this other property. It's like, I have two properties that cost as much as, you know, most people's houses and I have two of them and one of them right. is, you know, hopefully at some point going to pay for both of them. So it's like, right. that's, I don't know. That's the, the way I look at it and trying to, trying to get that stuff. And it's, it's difficult at times, man. I'd love to have a side by side to rip around on again and be able to do those things. It's just like, uh, it's, I, I look at where my priorities are and I want to be able to hunt all over the country and I want to do these things. And to do that, I got to make sacrifices in other areas. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this Adidas. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a consumer-based hunting show unlike any other. It provides an interactive learning experience where you can try all things mobile hunting and learn from the best in the business. Come experience an unbiased, community-based environment where you can improve your hunting skills and find the right equipment for your needs. I'll be speaking at the Nor'easter Show in Mannheim, Pennsylvania at Spooky Nook Sports from August 9th to 11th, 2024. So come check it out at, or either of the other shows in uh, Michigan and Georgia. You can purchase tickets online at the mobilehuntersexpo.com or grab tickets at the door. I'll see you there. Yeah, and I think the best rule of thumb is what you said earlier, and I, I adhere to it. I don't buy a toy unless I pay cash for it. That's it. Yep. Any, any type of my side-by-side, cash. Trailers, yep. cash. Camper, cash. I don't have to have a $50,000 camper to kill a deer out of. I'll go find a nice used one and pay cash for it. So yeah, just things like that allow me and allow my wife and I to get to chase our sons, both their dreams. Plus I get to chase these damn whitetails all over. So (laughs) yeah. Yeah. And and trust me, you don't learn all that. I mean, you're doing great at your age. You're already got that mindset. That's very intelligent way to approach life. It pays you off huge dividends down the road both from a financial point of view and both time is time is the most valuable thing there is in life. Time, time. And you'll know, you'll, you'll see this as you get older and, and like your father, you know, getting to spend time with your dad, all of those things. Uh, I lost my dad early. Trust me. 
cherish that stuff because all of a sudden you never know when somebody's gone or you run out of time or, you know, uh, time is huge. And that's one reason why I like teaching is it afforded me time to do other things because I got those summers to do what, even though I like to work, I get to set my own schedule and make the time that I need to, to pursue certain goals. Yeah, no, man, I, I, I look, I mean, when I hear people like you talk about those things, like I listen to it and it's, it's been important to me. I mean, one of the reasons why I ended up, you know, doing all these things and prioritizing. So then I, you know, just a couple months ago was able to quit my job and, and pursue this full time. And it's like, okay, is that, is that the smartest just financial plan? Probably not. But I also set up myself to where I don't have, all I have is the, the loans on the houses and that's it. And you know, and the one, the house that I'm living in now that I bought two years ago, I'll have paid off in another four years. Like, and, and, and like, and just like, planning that way. And it's like, okay, but also when I was doing like, you know, two jobs essentially and working all the time, I was like, I, I need to break this balance. Cause I'm not spending enough time with family and friends and all these other things and being able like that that's important to me and being able to, to, if, you know, I don't know, my dad has even said that, like he's owned his own business for the last, I don't know, 30 years or so. And he's like, you know, now he, you know, he goes, don't do what I did when I was younger. He worked at, he worked in a plant first electrical engineer. And he goes, I missed your guys's first four years of growing up. Your mom was basically a single parent at that point. Cause I was working so much. And that's when he made the decision to go do his own thing. And, and, uh, you know, I just, I think there's a lot of, a lot to be said about that. And, uh, trying to trying to go that route and have your priorities make sure you're financially stable but not letting it run your life either right you know and, and one reason my wife my wife was a division one college volleyball coach and got out of it so that she would have time became a teacher instead took a pay cut left a high profile job because what she cared about most was time to raise boys raise our boys and have time with them so yeah, yeah. I totally understand where coming from is I mean we get all the as being a teacher, you get all the vacations off with your kids growing up, all the, you know, the spring break, the Christmas, the Thanksgiving. One of our strongest family traditions here is our Thanksgiving week off where we whitetail hunt. You know, those are memories you never, ever can. Uh, they're priceless. You know, yeah. all those years of boys growing up doing that. Yeah. So, yeah, we're I totally get where you're coming from and coming from an older guy that's out there ahead of you a little bit you're definitely dialed in on the right track if you're doing what you're doing at your age that's awesome yeah no, I and you're doing what you, love. you know you're doing what you love yeah no i i appreciate that and and uh i just keep i look up to people like yourself and my dad and others that have like have laid that kind of foundation i just try to soak it in and like all right obviously you guys have went through it and learned those things and that's why you're saying it you know with me being younger it's like i I don't have all the experiences of someone that has you know a little bit of age on me i guess i'm not calling you old troy i'm not saying that i'm just saying a little bit age (laughs) this will be fun for your viewers real quick i was in bozeman the other day and I told you this story, but I'm going to tell it. Yeah. I walk into the Sitka headquarters and I'm looking at, you know, some of their gear and I look up on the big screen and there you are doing your Sitka stuff on their big screen. Yeah. And I think when you were up in Canada yeah, yeah. and the cashier standing there and I said, hey, I know Bo, 
And he kind of looked at me funny, like, yeah, whatever, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Then he was like, you do? And I go, yeah, I go, I've done a couple podcasts with Bo. I know Bo. And looked at me again, like, huh. He goes, yeah, well, he goes, that's one guy I really want to meet. I really want to meet Bo. And I said, yeah, he's a good dude. And then uh, I I think he was trying to decide whether or not I was full of it or not. (laughs) I, I bought a couple hats for my sons and then I walked out and, when I was walking out, I could tell the guy was still looking at me like, does this old fart really know Bo or not? <laughs> or no, he's anyway. probably trying to figure out. He's like, what guest is he on the podcast? Like, yeah, who is this guy? <laughs> yeah. Funny. And of course, we were decked out in Montana State gear. So, you know, yeah, he, it was just funny. The look he gave me when I said, yeah, I know Bo. <laughs> that is that is really funny. He goes, that's one guy I want to meet. So anyway, that was kind of a. You know, you're, my point is, Bo, you're doing some really good stuff. And I, I think you made the right choice because in life, you got to go do the things that are dear to your heart. That makes That's true happiness when you're doing that. Yeah, well, I I appreciate that, Troy, coming from you especially, and and I I, I don't I don't want to meet this guy because I don't want to disappoint him, you know. I don't want to I don't want to disappoint him if I meet him. <laughs> Be like, wait, this guy? <laughs> you, you wouldn't disappoint. Him. Now, <laughs> it's funny how you know you get on these podcasts and you get on video and people see you on video and you know I had, I had a guy reach out to me yesterday he's from Wisconsin and he said Troy you know I'm going to be hunting Montana for elk is there any chance any any way you could give me a few pointers and I just said here's my phone number call me and I could tell just he was like what and, and then he calls me and he's like man I really appreciate the fact that you'll talk and I said Mike you're a human being. I'm just a human being. I'm not anything special. I'm just, this is who I am. And don't feel like it's a big deal for like, he was treating it like he couldn't believe that I took the time to just give him my phone number and talk to him. And I said, Mike, we're just all normal dudes Yeah, that are out there doing what we love to do. And for whatever reason, we found our way into some, uh, sometimes some video or podcasts and, he was just, and I said, we're just normal guys. So then we ended up having a great conversation and I was able to help him out with some ideas about hunting public land in Montana for elk. But I guess my whole point is, is that to anybody out there that's listening or watching these things, there are so many just great normal dudes that are behind these cameras, behind these podcasts. You get to meet them in person and they're just normal dudes yeah. that love to hunt, that truly love to hunt. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're exactly right. And you, and you wouldn't, you wouldn't be spending your time doing these podcasts or doing anything if you didn't want to help people and be, you know, that way. Cause like, it's, it's, you're, you're not really getting anything from doing this. Like, you know, from that standpoint, other than, you know, people wanting to, to buy your scrape juice. But, uh, other than that, (laughs) no, the truth is the truth is on all that Bo is I started trying to just help because I feel like it's the right thing to do as a human before you leave the earth. What are you giving back? I mean, that's yeah. why I've taught for 28 years. Yeah. Like I, I could have did, I could have chose other careers for money and I never wanted to, to me, it's about why you're on this earth. Are you really making a difference to people? And whitetails was the one thing that I love so much and teaching. I get to help make a difference to kids and coaching, I get to help make a difference with kids. But I thought, how can I help 
in the world of whitetails. So for me, it's always been about when I'm dead and gone, guys can at least say that dude was willing to help out. Yeah. You know, that's what it is for me. No, but that th- dude was willing to help. I think that's an awesome mindset. And I, I think that people obviously really appreciate that, that you're able to to share those things and be able to help in the, the teaching side of it. And I think you have a good, uh, good avenue because you are a teacher. I mean, that's what you do. So when you take your whitetail stuff that, you know, you have the ability to teach it, you know, because there's, there's two different, you know, there's people that are really good at hunting whitetails, but they don't know how to teach it. And you have both of those. And that's why, like I said, I'd love to, to come, I'm going to sign up for one of your, uh, whitetail camps I, and and fly out there and i'd love to to come walk around the woods with you man so i appreciate you taking the time i know you're trying to go scouting and i kept you on again for no, over good, two man. hours but thank you for thank you for coming on troy and and coming to talk so where can people find uh if they wanted to learn about your scouting camps or they wanted to to you know, buy some of the Licking Branch stuff from you, anything like that? Where can people follow along with just anything you do? Very simple. Instagram is where I do it all. It's it's the easiest platform for me. So IG and I'm MTN underscore man, Mountain Man 33. Yep. I, you know, it's funny. I, I memorized that when people messaged me, like, hey, how do I get a hold of Troy for this? Like, <laughs> and, uh, and I was just like, I, I, I've typed it in so many times. I just, I memorized your your handle there it's pretty it's it's pretty easy to remember after you type it in a few times <laughs> and you know Bo, if guys want to just watch some of my scrape videos they can just type in my name to youtube troy pottinger yeah yeah i i subscribe to your channel and watch the the clips and watch the bucks that are coming up and working those scrapes and how you're building them and everything so definitely definitely go check that out we didn't dive deep into scrapes here because Troy, if you want to just search him, you'll find a million things where he's talking really detailed about scrapes and is the absolute master with it. I've learned so much about it. So I, I definitely encourage everybody to go check it out. Yeah. And in the end, Bo, all that really matters is that we give back in life and the guys have some successes from what we give back. That's what really matters because yeah. that stuff, that stuff transcends through time, you know? Yeah. Nope. I, kind of, so you're doing that. You're doing that with what you do. You're helping, you know, I, I have a good friend that's a college football coach and he's, he's incredible. He's at Texas. He's the D coordinator at Texas right now, but I've watched what he has done for people, his players at all the schools he's been at. And, and, you know, like guys like you doing what you're doing for people and other really, you know, you guys doing these podcasts are doing a lot for people. And then you guys seeking us dudes out, you know, even us old timers that have some knowledge to share. The cool thing is I think we're truly being good humans, you know, and, and, and uh, that's so important in today's world. Some of that gets lost nowadays, just being a good human and helping. And, you know, the last thing I want to say before we're done today is that I probably get more gratification out of a guy texting me and saying, Troy, I just killed the biggest buck of my life or the best whitetail of my life, or I just killed a buck that I, I was never, never able to kill before because I was able to pull a little something from you that helped to me. That's the, to me, that's what it's all about is, is that success for others, not just ourselves. Yeah, man. Like I, same, same way. Like when, when I get a message, even someone being like, 
you know, were you talking about the possibilities of going out west or doing what, or even like, you know, I've hunted, you know, this small private land forever and you got me to go into the Appalachian Mountains here and hunt whitetails and like, I'm just ate up with it. And there'll be guys that are older that, you know, that might be, you know, in their 40s and 50s that are messaging me this. And it's like, oh, it's just rejuvenated my love for whitetail hunting or whatever. And I'm like, that is freaking awesome. Like that get that gets me fired up and, and just, I don't know. I love it. Bo, I had a guy at my camp the other day that I'm assuming was in his seventies. Probably one of the cool, you know how you, you know how you get around somebody for just one day, but you can read, read them and their demeanor and just what a great person they are. He was one of those guys that when he shook my hand, when he looked me in the eye, when he talked to me that whole day, I just could tell the guy was a, he just, I could just tell he's a great man. And it was so cool for me because I had the youngest guys I had at my camp were probably early 20s, very early 20s, spread out all the way to this guy that I'm assuming was in his 70s. And and for me to get to work and talk to this broad range of age, uh, had a husband and wife team there, you know, it's just super cool to, like you're talking about, he was as fired up as anybody at that camp and probably asked me the best questions of the day. Yeah. Like he was really dialed, you know, and when I look at him and I think this man has hunted his whole life in the Pacific Northwest and he's had some success, but he was still willing to come down and listen to a guy 20 years younger than him and pick some stuff up from it. And it was an honor for me to get a work with the guy. And it was just honor to me because I based it on, I just sensed about the the guy was just an incredible dude. Like I was like, I felt rewarded getting to have him there. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, it definitely does. Oh, that's, that's, that's awesome. And you know, and like, and even like those younger guys, like when you, when you're able to teach them, they're taking that information in and they can apply it. And then throughout the years they get better at it. Then they're able to share it with other people and it just continually passes down. And yeah, there's yeah. a there's a young guy south of me 30 miles that grew up in the hometown I grew up in. I live about 30 miles north of my old hometown. He has killed the last three years, the three best bucks of his life, back to back to back years, just hunting the style that I've shared with him. And to me, that's as rewarding as anything yeah. for me personally. And it just blows my mind what he's killing now. And he's just applying these principles and and wisdom and logic to how he hunts now yeah and then just putting in the work for it and and he puts the work in yeah and he's young like you gung-ho has the energy you know that's another thing too guys that are getting my age you gotta so important to get out and hike and move and always stay active so that you feel great and you can still stay at a high level even when you get older yeah well, I, that's, I always look up to like, and, and even like my dad too, like he's just, he, he puts me to shame with the amount of time he's out scouting and putting boots on. And he's always like, I'm like, man, like he, an animal. he is. Yeah. He's <laughs> he just is. like always he's getting after it. He's always well, getting buck, after it. That buck he killed. Was it last year? Yeah. Absolute freaking giant. Oh buck. yeah. What oh. a small PA stud. Good as they get, isn't it out there? 
Yeah. That's about as good as it gets. Yeah, that's that's yeah, that's about as good as that's yeah, that's the, the biggest one that he's ever chased after. And just like it was just so cool to see him be able to do that, you know, after killed a buck every year for the last 20 some years and like he just needed that you know that great you know like he, you know he, he says he's like I, he's like man i'm happy with this if i never killed one even close to this again yeah. he's like yeah. i'm 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 good so it's yeah. it's pretty cool and he spent this is a I, I would expect you to do the same thing so even though he killed it he spent all spring trying to find his sheds because he could never find the sheds off this deer even though he's dead he just yeah. wanted to like figure out yeah. where did this deer winter and why did i why couldn't i find him and he just spent all year all spring trying to find his sheds that's awesome you know Bo, i know we're dragging this out but that makes me think of a buck I killed in 03. I killed a buck in 03. I still look for his other side that I haven't. Somebody <laughs> probably has it and I'm wasting my time, but yeah. I still look for it. And it's yeah. a buck from 03. <laughs> That's yeah. hilarious. <laughs> yeah, he's right, he's right back there over my shoulder. But yeah, uh, I have the one side to him and I just hope and pray that nobody found it and I'm still going to find it one day because I don't care how beat up it is. I want the set. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. <laughs> anyway. Well, right, thank you so much, Troy, and always good talking to you. I'm excited. You better send me some pictures or anything you can get on your cameras. I won't share them. We'll keep it uh, nice and tight, but I want to I wanna hear how your scouting mission goes. I will. And I'll, I'll send you a picture of that shed and show you the reason why we're trying to find this deer. Sounds good, man. All right. Thanks, thank Troy. Good talking to you, Bo. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.